talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And this is day two of our projection of Ohio State's 2024 starters. We did offense on Thursday. This is the Friday pod. We're doing defense. There's a couple of spots on the offense where it's like they probably need to go find a guy. The guy who might own that spot eventually might be a transfer guy, like quarterback with the Will Howard situation. We didn't talk about this on the Thursday pod because it hadn't happened yet, but Alabama center. Seth McLaughlin? Is that McLaughlin? McLaughlin, yeah. McLaughlin. He is expected to take a visit as well to Ohio State, which I know people's last visual of him was him just botching snap after snap after snap in the Rose Bowl. He had had a a couple other games where he had some bad snaps. But it's you got to look at everybody, right? I mean, the the guy's a starter at Alabama who was in the college football playoff, so I understand, Nathan, why they have to look at it. So I think that's it, Nathan. That's the only transfer people so far. Well, listen, uh, they had a, a guy from Troy. I think we did mention him on the, the, the pod the other day. Um, listen, when you fail in recruiting at Ohio State's usual level over multiple cycles, there's sort of a beggars can't be choosers philosophy that kicks in here. And you're, you know, there isn't necessarily a cream of the crop that comes available through, you know, there aren't usually all American left tackles available in the transfer portal. There's, to some extent, this is the kind of level that you're getting at. It's like group of five guys trying to level up or it's power five guys who maybe things that weren't going that great and they're looking for somewhere else, such as why people like Kyle McCord and Jamison Williams leave Ohio State. So I'm not saying people should be excited about his snap problems this year and should dismiss them. I'm just saying this is the kind of player that is often available. And at least it's a player with some upside. At least it's a guy who's been starting on a playoff team and who either... A, you fix the snapping issues and he becomes at least a depth piece for you at center, if not your starting center. Or, I don't know if you guys have noticed, Ohio State doesn't have a right guard right now. And we were talking about who fits into that. I mean, it it increases the competition there. I mean, if if you think all five positions should be up for grabs again going into the spring, then you should just welcome as many decent players as possible to join that competition and help them find the five best offensive linemen. So. I think it's it's definitely fair to point out that the he had myriad snap issues this year. I was reading some coverage from our uh, compatriots at uh, al.com and they said that uh, in the middle of the season he had like switched his snapping technique which seemed to help a little bit but then obviously as we saw in the Rose Bowl didn't help enough. So either there's a snapping issue that they can get corrected or He's still an experienced power five offensive lineman who could potentially help you on the interior elsewhere. So I I think it's not a I I consider it still a positive sign that even if it's a a power five starter with some warts, at least it's a power five starter. That's a step up from the guys that they brought in, I would argue, in the last cycle. So I I want to echo something that Nathan said. and I want to quote another sports movie. I feel like I do that a lot. Uh, if you've ever seen Moneyball. Um, you two are th- going to be unbearable with how often you guys quote movies on this podcast. Well, but I, also love, I also love, it's never an obscure movie. It's never like, hey, did you see that movie that Mark Ruffalo made when he was like 14? Like hardly yeah, anybody's seen it. Point. It's like, hey, have point. you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Hey, have you ever seen The <laughs> Godfather? Anyway, go ahead. 
Well, anyway, I was going to say, like, I, the optics of the McLaughlin thing are, like, objectively kind of funny. Like, if you just look at it, like, go back and look at McLaughlin's snaps. Like, the first touchdown Alabama scored this season, it was a snap that went on the ground, rolled on the ground past Milrow. Milrow picked it up and then ran 30 yards for a touchdown. The reason why our, uh, excuse me, Alabama converted that 4th and 31 against Auburn was because there was a bad snap that put them back a bunch of yards before that. And then you have the Michigan game. So like this was a problem all year. And I just kind of look at this like the Moneyball quote where it's they're trying to convince Scott Hatterberg to join the A's. And it's just like, we want you to play first base. It's like, well, I've only ever played catcher. It's like, you're not a catcher anymore, man. Like it's over. Give it up. You've thrown your last ball from behind home plate. I kind of look at that with McLaughlin. Like I think it's objectively you look at it and there were just disastrous problems against Michigan, no less, you know, against a team that does have a really good defensive line, no less at a stage that Ohio state wants to compete on. You have a guy that couldn't snap the ball. Like, let's call it what it is. He, he could not snap the ball, but it doesn't mean he can't help you at guard. Right. Or it doesn't mean he can't improve on his snapping over the next couple of months. That's certainly a possibility. So I understand how it looks and it's the, the optics of it are not great, but this is where you're at. You're kind of dealing with the Island of Misfit toys a little bit when you bring in guys on the portal where it's, we're bringing in a center not to play at center, or we're bringing in a center that we can't have snap the ball because it could be a disaster if he doesn't fix it. Like there, this is where you're at. So you're right, Nathan, this, you have to recruit better because these are the situations that you put, they put, get yourself put in. You know, these are the things that kind of happen to you, but I don't think that it's this, um, you know, oh my goodness, what a mess. I can't believe this is what Ohio State is resorting to. He's an experienced player who played at Alabama as a starter. You can find a use for that guy, even if you're not going to, even if you're not going to start him, right? Like even if he ends up not as a starter, he would be pretty good depth as a backup center even, or if you want to play him at right guard, that would be valuable too, because you're losing some experience with Matt Jones. I, I just think that there are there are other ways to use him and there are other ways to kind of do this. So, yeah, I, I get it. The optics and the fans are not going to be super thrilled by that visit, and, and especially if he does sign with Ohio State. But there there are other ways that he can get maximized with the Buckeyes. And, and I just want to, to, to follow up on that. Like His grades in 2022, when he started, yeah. I think, eight games, were significantly better than what his yeah. grades were this past year for going by the PFF stuff. So yeah. it, it isn't like he has been, and actually, I mean, whatever his snapping issues were this year, Alabama still started him all 12 games, or all, yeah. all, all 14 games, including into their playoff game where they were, you know, one snap away from a national championship game appearance. So it, I, I want the whole picture does need to be involved there. And it's more just that you're getting an experienced interior offensive lineman to join this mix, potentially he's probably going to visit some other places. You just went in the portal on um, Wednesday and we should, I guess, explain to people that yes, the portal closed on the second. However, there are a couple of exceptions. First, the team, a player only had to be, had to file his paperwork to his team by the second. So sometimes there's a delay of up to 48 hours before you actually see those names. So keep that in mind. If it gets to, I mean, you're not going to hear this till Friday, but you're going to still hear up until Thursday, probably some players going in the portal. There's just an Ole Miss running back that went in today. Plus, 
playoff teams had an extra five days from their last game to go in the portal. So Michigan and Washington guys can go in the portal after the national championship game and grad transfers can go in anytime. So just keep those things in mind as you're hearing more names pop up here and there. Buford, Georgia kid, same high school as Harry Miller, same high school as five-star Edric Houston. He's played 834 total snaps. All of them have been at center, and I was going to get ready at that point, Nathan. It just seems like he probably just had a bad year. He's got 10 total penalties in his career. Seven of them happened this past season. Obviously, the PFF grades took a dip this year, 59.4. But his first three years, obviously, as a true freshman in 2020 and a backup where he only played 11 snaps. But he had a 90.7 that year, played 354 snaps in 2021, 73.2, and then 2022, 74.3, and then it dipped, obviously, this past year. So maybe he just had a bad year, which Alabama's offensive line wasn't very good either this year. So maybe you just – just like we talked about with Donovan Jackson on the Thursday pod, maybe you chalk some of that up to interior guy playing along, maybe some inexperience along that offensive line. Maybe that hurts him as well as some other guys. I I guess I would just say – for. Anybody out there, like the the sign of progress for Ohio State's offensive line won't be when they start landing big time offensive tackles out of the transfer portal. The sign of progress will be when they don't need them. That's the critical thing that's happening right now is Ohio State keeps getting into the winter and semi-desperately needing to add offensive line talent, to upgrade its talent in the offensive line room. And as long as that keeps happening on an annual basis where they may need to take multiple guys where you can look at multiple positions and say there's guys in the portal who can upgrade Ohio State unquestionably, then that's the problem. So that problem has to be fixed through recruiting more than Ohio State needs to fix something on the back end with how it recruits the portal, in my opinion. I think, you know, we're not standing here looking three years out in the future saying, man, Ohio State really needs to like figure some things out in the portal at cornerback. Ohio State really needs to figure out some portal things at wide receiver. You know, this defensive line next year, the way Ohio State is setting it up. Now, there's some cautionary things down the line maybe for that, but Ohio State has some time chances to fix that. What's happening right now in the portal is repairing issues that happened the last couple, three years. So that's uh, the overall point I want to make there is that if you're if you're upset that this is the this is the waters that Ohio State is fishing in, um, these are the waters available at this point. It's sort of a best case scenario. You're trying to make the best of a bad situation and try to get it to a place where it's better than it was at the end of this past season, which obviously was an issue, as you saw in Dallas. Not to, not to make this conversation too long. I just want to add in real quick. I think this is also a development thing, too. I think this is kind of a like a, a yeah. nice thing for Ohio State development to look at and say, hey, look, we have a guy who... Nobody's going to dispute he had snapping problems, right? Nobody's going to dispute that he did not have as good of a year as he'd had in the past. So you want to improve that. And, uh, you know, I just want to caution fans, like, go back and look at that Alabama play on the last play of the game where uh, they ran that, like, quarterback draw, whatever, RPO thing, whatever they tried. Yeah. The right tackle for Alabama, J.C. Latham, who just declared for the NFL draft, he got toasted by a Michigan defensive end that was a Coastal Carolina transfer, right? Like J.C. Latham, the number three overall composite player in the 2021 class. Like this is a dude who is a great offensive lineman. And sometimes in big moments, dudes just get toasted. So it can be those type of things where, yeah, you know what? You want to get those five-star kids, but you've also got to develop. And I think that bringing in a guy like McLaughlin and developing him and kind of improving on what he had, I think that that could be another litmus test too of where Ohio State's offensive line is at. 
And just I, I, one of my um, New Year's resolutions is for us to stop saying this in 2024. But Andrew, I know you weren't here then, but oh Ohio State fans listening to this are well aware of J.C. Latham. Like they know exactly I who J.C. Latham is because he was one of the ones that they didn't get. <laughs> Andrew, you well, got one of the ones that didn't months. get. That feels like a lot of people, though. That feels just like I'm talking no, about no, 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 yeah. no. some linemen. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 yeah we're, when we say one of the ones we're getting get, we're talking about people where it felt like Ohio State had it in there and it just like fumbled and at the finish line or whatnot. We're not talking about like, oh, you didn't get some kid who was never even in the running for. You have three months left on this. Andrew, you weren't here yet thing, because after that, you will have officially been here for everything related to this football team. Right. So, yeah, count your days, buddy. You got 90 more days before we're done saying that. Let's take a quick break there, and then we'll come back. and We'll get into the defensive stuff and what we think the 2024 Ohio State defense might look like here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text, 614-350-3315. Everything we talked about in that first segment, well, it went to your phone first before we got on this pod and started talking about it or even before it went on the site or did anything else we texted about it first two week free trial i promise you you won't regret it 399 after that we're talking defense though here was ohio state starting defense nathan in 2023 defensive ends jt tuimaloa and jack sawyer on the interior they kind of had a three-man group so i included all three of those guys tyleek williams was basically a three-tech while Mike Hall played both three-tech and nose, depending on who was in the game with him, while Ty Hamilton also played nose. Your Mike and Will linebackers, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. Your starting cornerbacks, Denzel Burke and Davidson Igbenosin. Your starting safeties at nickel was Sonny Styles, while he was like the nickel safety, and Jordan Hancock was the nickel cornerback. And then there's a nickel Sam, and then there's an actual nickel that's worth five cents, and there's all types of nickels out there for you guys. And then your bandit was Lathan Ransom, and then your adjuster was Josh Proctor. Steel Chambers graduated and has already said that he's done. He's going off to the NFL draft. The same is expected of Tommy Eichenberg. So that's your two linebackers. And then Josh Proctor, as your starting adjuster, is expected to be gone. That's only three of your 13, I guess, people that you would call starters in the situation who are expected to be gone. Nathan, I know those are some pivotal spots, but just off the rip. If all those guys come back, what's the ceiling for Ohio State's defense in 2024? I like to say I appreciate you thinking that I would know what off the rip means. I I mean, listen, (laughs) I've been saying it for a while, and one of the things that I've sort of been harping on, even through the debacle that the Cotton Bowl was, was like, did you see the defense, though? Like, that defense. And now, like, imagine yourself taking that defense and – Yes, you're going to remove my call. I think that's significant. Um, I think removing the experience that you're getting at linebacker is significant. I think they can probably approximate that play, though. And if they were to... Right now, the one that seems like super crucial to me that isn't getting a lot of discussion, because everybody's talked about the third-year guys, right? The Tumalo out, Sawyer, uh, Tyreek Williams already coming back, Ty Hamilton maybe coming back, Burke, Hancock, all those guys. Like, if Lathan Ransom came back, because right now safety's the one that I think there's some question about. Like, where are guys fitting? How do you how do you set this up? But if if he were to come back to play a fifth year, and the way that it would then give, as they did this year, just myriad options back there, whether that's matching up against another team's personnel, whether it's just putting what they think is the best eleven out there for any given snap and moving guys around, Hancock can be both a corner and a nickel still. Like it. It's it's a really interesting interesting mix, and I think you might be looking at 
if not the best defense in the country, then a team that's going to be right where it was this year, statistically across the board, one of the top five. So I'm, I'm glad you said safety because I want to start there. I want to start in the back end and work our way up to the front end. I Like 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 I said on the Thursday pot, it's the same thing here where I asked the texter 614-350-3315, every single position, is Ohio State starting this position currently on the roster or in its 2024 recruiting class? And the options for all of those, depending on, you know, the number of starters you need in those situations where all of them are, basically some of them are, only one of them is, or no, they need to go to the transfer portal. And Nathan, I, Andrew, I think safety is interesting because of what Nathan just said, Andrew. One is what's Lathan Ransom going to do? But then also there's like a Sonny Styles conversation of what is Sonny Styles after what we saw this year, where there's some options and what you can do with him, but there's also what's best for Sonny Styles and his upside and his future, and also what can best maximize him as an Ohio State football player. So with this one, this is the one where we can actually answer this question best right now. When you look at Ohio State's three starting safety spots, are all three of those currently on the roster for 2024? I hate that they call it a nickel safety when it's like a nickel corner. Like I, I hate, I but hate it's not that. always like because yeah. it's I, like I you know. said. Sometimes it, it's more like a Sam linebacker, depending on who's playing it. If you if you can tell me it's Hancock Styles Hartford, I think so. I think that they're all on the roster. Um, if those are the three uh, Styles Hartford Hancock, like I said, I think those are the three guys that you would look to. Um, I you mentioned Lathan Ransom going. I. This is uh, Sonny Styles, man. Like you gotta, like you said, you gotta put him in a position where you know what you're getting from him, and you just you can just let him do what he does best, which is kind of everything. And you gotta find a way to maximize that, right? Like you've got to find a way to maximize what he can give you on the back end. I I do think that you have the starters on this on this team right now. I wouldn't be surprised if you bring in some depth. Um, the room is really young in terms of you know who you have back there, like Sonny Styles. Um, you have the the three uh, the three first year guys who will be second year guys in Bonsu, Hartford, and Hawkins. Uh, you've got the two freshmen coming in and McLean and Roker, uh, and then you got your hard Carter. Like you don't have a ton of veterans in that room. I know Sonny Styles has played a lot, um, so that certainly helps. But I. I wouldn't be surprised if they add some veterans there, but I, I think your starters are here just because I don't know what you can get that's better. Nathan, yeah, do you think? Uh, uh, similarly, like I know that, and they've brought in at least one safety for a visit. There's been some some interest there. Some a, a USC guy ended up going to UCLA, or the other way around. Sorry, right? UCLA guy went to USC. Either way, but that always seemed more like a sort of like Jihad Carter last year, where you're bringing in a power five guy with experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start. It's just putting somebody in this mix because I do still think that they should do that. Probably if there's somebody out there, whether it's now, whether it's in the spring, if they just seem a little bit thin, because like even if you bring back Ransom, which is certainly not a given, but if he comes back along in this mix with Styles. Hartford, Hancock, and Carter. Carter's still around. Carter's still got another year of eligibility. You really want like two guys that you're confident in at each spot. They may look at for somebody else at that point just to to round things out. They do have some younger guys, but they've also had safety is one of the positions that got hit the hardest by outgoing guys in the portal. So I think they could look for some depth help 
via safety. But I do think the starters are on the roster now, especially if Ransom comes back. Because then you're looking at Ransom's going to start, and and then the combination of Styles and Hancock, maybe. We'll talk more about Styles in a second. But that's like a, an option there. You've also got Carter, who can mix in at a couple places. And you got Hartford, who showed so much as a freshman, but wasn't really ready for it the first time they gave it to him, I would say, which was evidenced by the fact he 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 got kind of the Josh Proctor hook and John mm-hmm. Carter was in there almost immediately. What was that? Youngstown State? Like he got in the mm-hmm. game really fast. Um, but later in the season, you started to see Hartford get more run and that the confidence that they maybe instilled a little too early was still there late in the season. They were and they were ready to to give him more. So that seems like a very viable second year starter option. Uh, maybe just taking Proctor's place right at adjuster. That's kind of how I would assume it goes right now. I think the, the X factor is if ransom doesn't come back and you don't think Sonny styles is a safety anymore. Mm. Now, now you're in a weird spot a little bit and as to who's going to start and what, how much you really need to bring somebody along in a hurry from like this freshman sophomore group that's been here the last couple of years. Uh, and I think it's worth having a discussion about what exactly Sonny Styles is for this defense going forward, because there were times where it looked like it, it made a lot of sense to have him at nickel, because if you're using nickel as a Sam linebacker in those formations, those alignments, then that makes sense because I think that's maybe what he most naturally resembles. When he is a coverage nickel, there were some definite exposures there, right? And then when you even had him back at Bandit, and during the, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but during the Cotton Bowl, Jim Knowles was asked about Styles and said something along the lines of, I think he can be an elite uh, deep safety. And I, I mean, I trust his judgment to some extent, but I also trust my eyes to some extent. And I, I had questions about that after what we saw this year. He is still young, even though it's a second year guy going into his third year. He's a very young, about to be third year guy. So we have to keep that in mind. But it's very interesting where they decide to slot him. Like, what do they decide between now and August about Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks is going to be a lot of ink spilled on those things, I think, by by the billion people who cover this team. So first, our Texers. 54% 54% said all three were on the roster. 41% said only two, 4% only one, and then only 1% said no transfer portal. I, I think they need to find depth, and I think we're going to be saying that a lot in the, on defense that maybe they just need to find depth at some spots. I, I'll, let me start with the Sunny Styles thing. Actually, no, let me start with the Molly Carford, Jihad Carter thing first. I think that's an interest. That's one of the more intriguing position battles heading into the spring of like what, because that's the adjuster spot more than likely if, if Lathan Ransom comes back, especially because if Lathan Ransom comes back, he's your starting bandit because he was the last two years. And so did Malik Hartford, does the Malik Hartford who they t- raved about in the off season, is that who shows up this spring? Now that he has a year under his belt and not the Malik Hartford who showed up in, in the Youngstown state game, or even the Michigan game where JJ McCarthy just exploited the fact that he was on the field and then admitted such that like, he knew he could do that because he knew who was on the field and he knew exactly what Malik Hartford was going to do. So I'm throwing a, a touchdown there, even if it was controversial, whether or not it was a pick or not. I threw that ball because I saw Malik Hartford come onto the field. 
So that's an interesting position battle. I think the Sonny Styles conversation, he is young Nathan, but he is a large human being. And he's he's a large human being whose frame looks like it can take on more. He's 6'4", 230, and he is about as skinny as can be for 6'4", 230. As a guy who I remember when he was getting recruited, he came to a day camp one time. And Andrew, you're going to have fun with it because like, you get to do this this summer. You get to have these. I remember these stories the, when they were at day camps. They brought Sonny Styles in one day, and he spent his morning working with Al Washington and the linebackers. He spent the first part of his afternoon working with Kerry Combs and the defensive backs. And then before he left, he went inside with Larry Johnson, and they had him doing defensive line work. That's how versatile he is. And he looked awesome doing all of that. Every single drill, he looked awesome. And that's the whole point of what Sonny Styles is. I do think he can be everything, Nathan. This is, he played 543 snaps this season. 40 of them, he was lined up along the defensive line. 181 of them, he was in the box. So basically playing like bandit, you know, nickel safety type stuff. And then, you know, the bandit stuff. And then 162, he was a free safety, and that was back. And a lot of that was late after Lathan Ransom went down, of course. So you're talking Michigan game and Michigan State game and on. And then he played 150 snaps in the slot. So they used him everywhere. It's just it felt like when they played, and some of that is rotate. It's like you're re- reacting yeah. to the offense, obviously. And sometimes so it's not like they just lined him up that things way. can get a little wonky sometimes. But, yeah. but broadly, broadly, I, it, it's, it's fairly accurate. Um, my thing with Sonny Styles is maybe we're looking at this in the wrong way because from the time that he reclassified and was coming here, really even before that, from the time that they even recruited him, I think the point was always supposed to be that they weren't recruiting in whatever position they were recruiting Sonny Styles and the Sonny Styles' best position someday was going to be Sonny Styles and Ohio State Mm -hmm. had been looking for a player like that for a long time. A, a kind of a singular defensive player. And maybe he wouldn't be like singular in terms of talent across college football, but singular in terms of his description, that there wasn't really, he was hard to define. And maybe the maybe it's not so much a, that maybe we're trying too hard to put him in that box. On the flip side of that though, you still, there are only 11 spots on the field and he's not playing defensive line. And I don't think he's going to play cornerback. So now you're down to five spots. Now, which of those five spots puts him, whether you want to call him that or not, if you want to call him just Sonny Styles, that's fine. But he has to stand in one of those five spots and do the things that one of those five spots does. So there you go. Like, he's got to fit somewhere. And I think that they're kidding. I worry that they could get caught a little bit in between there. Not necessarily by their fault, but it's like you're trying to find out the, the, the very best place to put him. There is some balance here because you're trying to, find the best place to put multiple guys. But if uh, they also have to not be afraid of that, they have to really, I think, commit. They owe it to the rest of this roster to just say, listen, Sonny's going to be our will linebacker this year. We've just decided that from a physical standpoint, we're going to let Mickey Marotti put another 30 pounds on him. And we're going to see what happens at will linebacker. Cause we think he's athletic enough that he can carry that weight and he can be a really dynamic player. And yeah, that's boxing out some other guys. Uh, but so be it. Like it's you got to kind of be a little um, survival of the fittest here at this point. You you've you've come up short in important places too many times in a row now to be that worried about um, whether somebody is is getting nudged aside uh, inconveniently. So if 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 nickel if 
if they want to make nickel his permanent home because they have ransom, they'll have Hartford, they'll have Carter. They have other guys they can play behind. And then maybe you supplement that still with Hancock and still make styles to Hancock, a two position thing. I see the value of that. I also see the downside of that. Two of your best defensive players are sharing time. That doesn't make any sense. So it's as much as there is like some real certainty about how good this defense could be next year. This is like the one pivot point of how do you solve this problem? And it's a good problem to have, but like, how do you come out of this with the best alignment of getting your best 11 guys on the field as much as possible? And it's, it's, it could be a little bit tricky. It could be a little bit tricky depending on, especially what they decide to do with CJ Hicks. I think the issue with the Styles thing, though, is what you don't want to do is turn him into a jack of all trades, a master of none, or right. have him because he's he's yes he's a super super versatile p- football player, obviously, but he's not perfect. And I felt like at times teams exposed that right. Sometimes they attacked him in passing coverage, and they were able to complete passes. I mean, the Michigan play just kind of really stands out. He's in the hole. He did everything the right way. It's just. He's not as agile as Lathan Ransom is, and Blake Corm's a really good running back. So a little wiggle, and now instead of maybe you get tackled in the hole and it's a one- or two-yard game max, it's a 20-yard touchdown. And I think that's where they have to decide certain things. As his, Because he's so young and his body is still maturing, should he be that deep? Is he, like able, cause he, is he physically capable of doing those things? against the elite football teams. This isn't about can he do it against Michigan State and Akron. And I know I just grouped in those two teams together. But listen, Michigan State, you're incompetent right now. And until that changes, I'm going to group you in with those teams who are going to get blown out next year. But can he do it against Michigan and Oregon and on down the list in those situations? Because I thought the best way so far he's been used in his career was as the guy they put out there for like 15 snaps to cover Brock Bowers. Because it, w- it was one for one. It seemed like the perfect marriage. It's just one's a true freshman who's 17 and the other one's a sophomore who's the best tight end in the country. So I think that's where it's, is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? It's, is, as his body continues to mature here, is he going to be physically capable of doing some of the things that he was showing you he could do in high school when he wasn't 230 pounds? Which can bring us into the linebacker discussion where there are two opening positions Cody Simon is coming back. I think we all can probably assume he's taking one of those spots. I'll just give the texter uh, responses here because a lot of it's going to be, yes, they're on the roster. Are the current linebacker, starting linebackers on the roster for 2024? Both are, yes, got 73% of the vote. 24 got only one is on the, on the roster right now. And if you're the only one, you're saying, oh, Cody Simon has for sure taken the job. And you're not as sure about the C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers. Maybe we throw Sonny Styles in that conversation just because, yes, they were highly rated recruits, Nathan, but we just haven't seen them yet. I think my quibble here is, I mean, I think the, the two starters are probably on the roster from, from what we know right now. Um, if they decide to keep Sonny Styles a safety and if they decide not to keep C.J. Hicks at linebacker, um, then now things open up a little bit because that is not a deep room. That is a room where I thought they needed some transfer portal help, probably. And again, another position where they have dabbled in that. But it is not a room, especially with with Reed Carrico moving on, with both of those starters moving on. It's it's just not a deep a deep group. Like you're looking at next year, um, right now it would be eight guys, but that's two redshirt freshmen and two true freshmen in there. So it's Simon. Court Williams technically listed as a linebacker these days. 
his plight, like I don't know when to expect him on the field. I suppose he could be in the mix of safety still again if they wanted to. And then Hicks and Powers, that's really where you're talking about probably trying to get your starter from. And then the, the Nigel Glover, Arvell Reese, uh, redshirt freshman um, situation after they were both with the team this past year. But that's, that's numbers-wise, when you're only starting two, that's actually probably fine. But if you start moving guys around, if C.J. Hicks isn't a linebacker, then it gets really thin on experienced guys that you trust. So I'm curious if this comes up again, stays relevant through the portal for them, if they'll try to find somebody else. They have some scholarship numbers that they can play with, and if they have to overbalance, I think, at linebacker to to account for that lack of experience and depth, then for a year, maybe they could, maybe they would do that. Um, but I think the starters probably are on the roster, whether that's Simon and Hicks, Simon and Powers, um, Powers and Hicks, because they beat out Simon and Simon just stays the number three guy. That that seems like the most likely combination. Um, it's just that after hearing Jim Knowles talk at the Cotton Bowl, uh, I can't say for sure that I think CJ Hicks is still a linebacker by the end of the spring, or maybe even by the start of it. Andrew, what do you think of that? The CJ Hicks part of this conversation as a former five-star top one, top 10 recruit in the country who we just haven't seen a lot of yet. The CJ Hicks thing has been fascinating to me because ever since I showed up on the beat has been unleash CJ Hicks. Has It has been, we're going to let this guy go and we're going to let this guy do a lot of different things. I know he's got to do a lot of different great things. And I, I remember at the end of spring practice, uh, Jim Knowles said it. And then at... Uh, in fall camp, he said it. And then I remember like at the end of, or I think it was down at the Cotton Bowl, he said it. So like, you got to find a way to get CJ Hicks on the field, I think, because he's got the, ta- you got it because he's got the talent and he, and you got to find out if you can make it work, right? Like you've got to find out if that is a, if that is a guy that can play in some way, shape or form for you. So yeah, the, I think you're right, you know, or Nathan's right. I mean, you you have to try something. You have to get him on the field in some way. You feel good about Cody Simon being one of those backers. Can CJ Hicks take over, you know, that, you know, kind of role where he's the guy who can move around a little bit, but you also don't want to have Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks on the field where you've got two guys that essentially their role is freelancer. Right. Like you don't want to be I know it sounds like a good thing, but you don't want to have two guys moving around like that. You know, you you hear this a lot with defenses where they can all be wrong and the defense will be okay. Like if you have guys that are out of position for whatever reason, one or two guys that can really kind of screw things up. So you don't want to have too much of that. So I'm curious to see what they do with with CJ, because, again, he's got all the talent in the world. It's just you've got to find a way to make it work. Nathan, can I ask you a Jack question? Yep. Do we? Do you think we actually see that position in 2024? Just uh, and uh, the only reason I'm asking that question really is one because it's part of the reason Jim Holmes is here because he had the specialized position. We haven't seen it in two years, which is it's the new bullet right now. But they've got players on the roster who physically fit the description of what they want to do with that Jack position, and right. I think it's C.J. Hicks. 
and Arvell Reese and Joshua Mickens. And they didn't use, I understand why you didn't use it last year. You got a, a, a boatload of defensive ends and we'll get into the defensive line conversation when we get to it. But it does just seem like you are three years into just the development of that position. And maybe you can actually find a way to use it this year. Well, that's what I was going to follow up when you said you've got guys that physically fit that description. But like, do you know what you also have potentially on this 2024 roster, the two best defensive ends in the Big Ten and maybe all college football? Like, <laughs> so how often do you want to take them off the field? And then you've got Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry behind them, who are could potentially start for like any Big Ten team, right? So, like, this is – it didn't come up as much in 22 because you didn't – Tumalo out and Sawyer especially had not really reached their – and that was just a – I don't know that they had a defensive end group that, like, demanded to be on the field quite the same way that this group will, just with their play, not with their mm-hmm. words. Like, they, it's hard to take Tumalo out and Sawyer off the field, and when you do, it's hard not to then put – caliber guys that they have behind them on the field to replace them so that's where i'm we're this is one of the things that ryan day has to figure out because it feels like it is there has been a bit of a disconnect between larry johnson's long-standing way that he develops that room and to some extent to some extent i get it not not just because of the success he had, but because that's how this roster was constructed. That's how this roster yeah. was recruited, was with that philosophy in mind. That's why they have both Tumaloa and Sawyer and the guys behind. Like, all these guys are here because they were recruited in a world where Ohio State was going to play two defensive ends and rotate those guys. And Jim Knowles didn't have that abundance of talent when he used the Jack. So, yes, it was a thing that he used at Oklahoma State, but in some ways it was a thing that he used to compensate for a lack of production elsewhere, for better or for worse. It was because you didn't have defensive ends of this caliber. When you put a guy like that on the field, it you 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 over, you compensated for that lack of conventional production with the unpredictability and the versatility of using the jack. So he doesn't have to do that with this defense. He won't have to do that again if we if the right guys come back. We'll not have to do that again in 2024 with this defense. So my inclination is to say, no, I don't expect it to be a focus. Caveat here is that one reason they went away from it, I thought, in 23 also, was that there were bigger problems that had to be fixed. Not only did they think that it had screwed up Jack Sawyer a little bit, and they wanted to let him focus on being a defensive end again, which, guess what? He was the number one ranked defensive lineman in the Big Ten in 2023. So I think it it worked. Just kind of let him get back to work at defensive end. but. They had to go fix their secondary. They had they had to raise the level of consistency and play in their secondary, both in terms of physical skill development and Jim Knowles' scheme. Like he had to go figure that out. So they backed off of what they're doing with the Jack partially for those reasons. But the secondary is kind of fixed now. I mean, especially if they if the guys that we're talking about, if all those guys return, secondary is in real good shape. Now, Jim Knowles is gonna have his hands full fixing linebacker, though. So that might be another reason why if you're just trying to fix those conventional linebacker spots and make sure they're ready, you don't devote time to developing the Jack, but are there ways that using the Jack is now the thing that helps you compensate for what you have at linebacker? I I don't know. I it's, but it's something that I think Ryan day as the head coach also has to have some involvement here to be like, listen, we have to do what's best for the defense as a whole. We can't have, 
a defensive philosophy here and a defensive line philosophy here. And if they're in contrast, somebody has to win. And if you're saying that, that Larry Johnson wins, I think that undermi- undermines Jim Knowles a little bit. If you're saying that Jim Knowles wins, that uh, undermines the work. And again, what I was saying before, like the way this roster was constructed with Larry Johnson's help. So I think for 2024, it's still a very confusing question. I think for 2025, things open up because you're you're cycling through all this defensive line talent. And frankly, at that point, it that position may have a lot more utility in this defense than it would right now. But that also means, as we're talking, you're, I mean, C.J. Hicks is a guy that has come up in that conversation multiple times. And if that's his best use in this defense, are you really going for a third full year and not putting him on the field somewhere? That just seems bizarre to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm still like, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like this is going to be uh, so many of these defensive positions are going to be kind of locked down that we're going to be focusing an inordinate amount of time. Like people are going to be sick of hearing about it. How much we talk about where is CJ six and where is Sunny styles as spring practice unfolds. Cause it's going to be a daily check-in to find out what they're doing with those guys. I know it's going to be, it's like, Hey, who's the quarterback? Hey, what's the offensive line? Where is CJ Hicks and Sonny styles? I think it's interesting this year though, is, this is the first year Knowles has been here where they've actually had guys who you get get around to playing. Because Jack Sawyer had no business being a Jack. It was just this thing that Jim Knowles was used, had been using, and they had to find a way. They had five, they had three five-star edge rushers, and two of them were going to start, and they needed to find another role for Jack Sawyer. And it felt like they did that with this Jack role. They started to recruit to this. And to your point where, there's, oh, they've got this gaggle of defensive line ends, Nathan. That's because that's how they've always recruited here, right? We got to remember, Larry Johnson's been here for almost a decade. So for the first half of Ryan Day's career here, they were recruiting to that single high cover three safety defensive scheme. And Larry Johnson had just done it at a very high rate. Well, kind of. I think he had some home run cycles and then some other cycles that were a little, uh. But you you landed two five-star edge rushers and you got to get them on the field. And maybe we can get more into this when we do dog defensive end, but you didn't necessarily recruit CJ Hicks with the Jack in mind because Jim Knowles wasn't here yet, but the Jack has existed the entire time CJ Hicks has been here. So I, I am just wondering, there, there does seem to be a disconnect in between what Larry Johnson is doing up front and then what the rest of the defense is doing with Jim Knowles at times. And I feel like they got to figure that out this off season and what that looks like. And does that mean that Larry Johnson's guys play 15 less snaps? a game because Jim Knowles is ready to put this guy on the field, or is it still going to be a situation when we're asking Jim Knowles about defensive linemen this year where he's like, Oh, those are just Larry's guys, which I don't think that's a good thing because you're supposed to be the head coach of the defense. Everything is your guy. Even if you've got a position coach handling that group, that's the only reason I wanted to bring it up in that situation. Cause I just think Jim Knowles is probably going to have more options on his table than he's probably ever had as a defensive coordinator, when you look at the talent that could be on this roster and he's got to figure out how to maximize all of that talent, even if it means having a real hard conversation with Larry Johnson about what they do next with that defensive line room. And I guess we can get into that after we come back from this last break here on Buckeye Talk. The front and the back end work together and it hasn't worked together as well as it did in 2023 since 2019, when you're talking about a cornerback room that 
at times was at a high level for most of the year in a defensive line room that was at the same. We were talking defensive. We kind of started talking defensive line before the break. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. I guess let's just get into the defensive line room now and this edge rusher room. Andrew, I'll start with you. Are Ohio State's 2024 defensive ends currently on the roster or in its 2024 recruiting class? Yes or no? Duh. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. I think that this was one of the, <laughs> this might've been the easiest one. Um, because even if like, even if kind of worst case scenario hits Ohio state and JT Tumaloa decides that he's going to the NFL and Jack Sawyer looks at the cotton bowl and goes, huh, I can go to the NFL now. I have another, cause like it is, a, it's a one game sample size, but it is one of the 13 games that Ohio state played and it should matter. So if like, if, even if they leave, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry are there. You're hurting numbers wise, but you're you're still got the guys on the roster. You you're bringing in somebody, and again, it's it's one of those things. Who you're going to bring in that's better than Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry? So, yeah, I, I I think it looks pretty decent that you are bringing back at least one of those guys. And as I mean, if you bring back both, yeah, you don't even have to think. Both starters are on the roster. Even if you bring back one, you don't even have to think. But I think. You know, the question is, if you lose two of those guys, you know, or is the starter on the roster? And I still think the answer to that question is yes. So, yeah, this is this is really easy. I think, you know, you're looking at a, a potentially elite defensive end tandem for Ohio State next year. We'll see what happens with NFL decisions. But, I mean, it looks promising for 2024 at the very least. So 88 percent of our Texas, Nathan, also said, yes, both are on the roster, which could mean any combination depending on these two NFL decisions you could be in a world where it's the exact same two guys starting or it can be Jack Sawyer and Kenyatta Jackson or Jack Sawyer and Caden Curry or Jack JT Kumaloa on one of those two guys so I I almost want to ask you this question instead because and the reason I'm asking Kenyatta Jackson was like tweeting some stuff out players have been mad active on social media and liking stuff and doing the most since the season ended which can happen sometimes and I know fans can can take to that and go what does it mean is this guy gonna be out the door or whatnot They've got four guys who probably deserve to play next year, two of which are five-star recruits who would be in year four if they come back, a top 100 recruit from Florida in year three who did flash at times this year, and at times during the offseason it felt like he was pushing to be in a three-man rotation anyway, and then Caden Curry, who, I, in my opinion, every time we've seen him on the field, he's made a play. So they've got that's a legit four. But because of the world we live in now, I don't think it's fair to just assume all four of those will be here, whether it's because the top two guys make an NFL decision or the other two guys make a transfer. Well, they can't make a transfer decision now, but they could probably make one at the end of the spring that's still open on the table. Just because this portal is closed doesn't mean they don't make a decision in the other one. Do you think it's possible that regardless of what decisions JT and Jack make after this, in the next coming days here, that Ohio State still might need to go to the portal to find a defensive end for the sake of the room's depth. Oh, for depth, I think that's that's always a conversation. But even there, I mean, you've got guys like, you know, Mitchell Melton, we can't forget about him, is still hanging mm-hmm. around there, kind of out of sight, out of mind, because he has just had such terrible injury luck. But that's like, when you start talking about Mitchell Melton being like the number five guy, that's interesting, right? Like that, if, if he's your fifth guy, and then you're trying to find snaps for Edric Houston at some point, maybe even as a true freshman, like, man, that is a good defensive end group. So my point there being, if you're a guy trying to transfer in from a depth standpoint, and even if you even if you accept that role in the short term, you're also looking at a group that has Curry and Jackson and maybe Eric Houston next year ready to step up and take all the 
the starting snaps. Like, so I, I'm just trying to put, again, trying to give people a realistic look. It can't just be like, oh, Ohio State wants something. Ohio State should just go get something. Like the, the second piece of that has to be a, it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And right now at defensive end, you are really asking somebody to maybe have some patience um, and in, in, in what they accept to come here right now, if they really want to wait around. So I, I don't, if, if all these guys come back, if, to, if Tumaloa and Sawyer come back, I don't know that they need to really add somebody as long as nobody else leaves, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that we, I don't know how on alert we are for that. I guess Kenyatta Jackson, maybe a little bit, but also, man, I would just tell these guys like, I get it. I get it. But do you know how good this defense could be next year? Like, what if you go out? Like, what if Ohio State has, like, four of the ten best defensive ends and they're just rotating in the Big Ten and they're just rotating them all the time? Like, that's just – yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a recipe for terror. It just is. Like, I'm not – it just is like, and, and could Jackson and Curry, this is both like a pretty crucial juncture of their year going into a third year where you can see a real jump happen. Um, at the same time, I would understand if they looked at it and said, well, I want my third year to jump me into a big chunk of playing time. So I, I get it, but it just, what's on the board for this defense and how good it could be next year. Uh, if people make some of those sacrifices, and it's easy for me to say, harder for them to do, but what's on the board for this defense if if all that came back is is just impressive. So I, as of right now, I would expect, yes, the starters are on the roster, and I think that top five probably stays together. I guess the one thing that could that could wrench this is if Edric Houston shows up and looks super special from day one. Yeah. That I could that throws things off a little bit, maybe. Then maybe somebody is like, "Hey, like, I, no offense, it's just I want to play. I don't want to mess with this this big glut of guys we have." I I could see that. It's it, with five star recruits. There's always that question, especially guys who are non offensive linemen, five star recruits, and play positions where, especially defensive end more than defensive tackle, you can put them in there and pass passing down situations to just tell them to go get after the quarterback. You don't have to worry about whether or not they can stop the run or not in those situations. He is interesting because you don't take it. You don't always, when a coach says he should be a day one impact player, you pay attention to it. And there's only a number of guys in this recruiting class, Andrew, that Ryan Day talked about that way. He didn't get to talk about Jeremiah Smith because Jeremiah Smith was being Jeremiah Smith on signing day. But I mean, we're expecting him to be a day one contributor. Ryan Day said, James Peoples is expected to be a day one contributor. Er- Edric Houston's the only other guy he like talked about that. Aaron Nolan, that's because I asked him about it, and it's because it's a quarterback battle, or whatever. But Edric Houston, Jeremiah Smith, and James Peoples are the only three people that Ryan Day what, have been talked about in a way, whether by the coaching staff or just like because of their talent level, where there's an expectation that they can impact the game, impact this team on day one. And can Edric, do you think Edric Houston has that type of ability to where if you see him? And an important snap against Oregon, it's not going to shock you. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. The the problem is you're gonna have you're gonna have an issue with opportunity. I think if you have Sawyer and Tuomaloa back, and even if like if it's you know Tuomaloa and Jackson or Sawyer and Jack, whatever it is, like you're gonna have an issue with that because you can say this dude is an impact player. And this dude can make an impact on day one, and that's totally fine. 
But when Ohio State played Michigan and on that last drive of the game, was Kenyatta Jackson in or was JT Tumaloa in? When when Ohio State needed a stop against Notre Dame in early in the year, when Notre Dame had the ball late and could have ran out the clock, was Caden Curry in or was Jack Sawyer in? So when it comes to important snaps, I don't know how much you can see of Edric Houston because you just might not have the opportunity because you're looking at guys ahead of him on the depth chart and you might say, we just can't take these guys off the field. That doesn't mean you can't play against an Oregon. It doesn't mean you can't play against a, you know, a USC or a Washington or a Notre Dame or a Michigan or a Penn State or a whoever. It doesn't mean you can't play in those games. It just means like when it comes to important snaps, I don't know. So it wouldn't shock me to see Edric play in that type of role. I mean, he's got that level of talent. We've talked about this with Aaron Noland. When you come from Georgia, especially the program that Edric Houston's coming from in Buford, Georgia, you're, you're feeling pretty good about where this guy is in terms of, you know, the talent that he's practiced with, played with, played against. You feel great about that going into a year. It's just that I, I look at him and I see a guy who might have everything that you need to play, but we just talked about it with Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry that those guys are probably starters at a lot of other schools in the Big Ten, and they didn't start at Ohio State because Ohio State had Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa. So it's one of those things where you need – he has the talent, absolutely. I don't know if he has the opportunity. But it does seem like, Nathan, this is (laughs) – we talk in circles, man, when you cover this team. You know, we, a year ago, we're like, how come they rotate so much? And now it's like, should they be rotating more because the talent is better? I, I don't know. Could we see just a, a steeper? We talked about it with the wide receivers. Could we just see a steeper rotation to where like, in no, against Notre Dame? Yes, Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa played every single snap. But also Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry were year two guys who maybe weren't ready to to face a team like that who approached offense that way where it was going to be a lot of stopping the run and not getting after the passer. But we did see those two get more involved against Penn State and as the season went on. Could we just see a deeper rotation simply because those guys are in year three now and you have the option of playing two five-stars, a former top 50 recruit, and another former top 100 recruit? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Sawyer and Tumaloa would not be coming back to just hang out. They'd be coming back to tear some stuff up, I think, right? So I think that's your first and foremost goal as a defense is to let your best guys. I mean, listen, Ohio State, both things are kind of true that um, the the 12 team playoff alleviates the consequences of any one loss, but also Ohio State not having capitalized on some opportunities these last few years means they have to start capitalizing on those opportunities. And I think that that's going to be the number one goal for next year. So I don't know if I would see it being such a rotation. I mean, it would, it would be somewhat decided by Houston. I mean, he, if he comes in and just demands it, I don't think this, this coaching staff has shown that young guys will get a chance on defense, at least when they merit it um, with playing time. So, I don't, that's where I kind of, that's how I was approaching it before. I was like, listen, if he just shows up and is just a, a man child or whatever, then okay, then, then maybe that it lends itself to that. I mean, it happened with Tumaloa in 21 
where yeah. or or yeah, twenty one, where we thought, oh, this guy's showing up in July. This guy doesn't commit till July. Like, there's no chance he's really going to play that big of a role this year. No, he's starting like four games in. Like, so like, I, I'm open to that. It was a different different dynamic in that room, though. It's more just about what Houston comes in and shows them than than setting a philosophy before that. So the interior. 81% said both are on the, the roster, yes. So it's basically the same as the defensive ends. I don't know if there's – maybe it's the same exact conversation when you've got Tyler, Tylee Williams for sure. Now, that's official now. That's not just an assumption because he has already come out and said he's do, doing so. Potentially Ty Hamilton, potentially Taiwan Malone, who didn't have as big of a role as maybe we thought he would have. But, you know, it's his first year playing solely football and not focusing on other things. Maybe we got ahead of our skis there. Hero Canoe, who seems to be coming along fine. Jason Moore, a former top 100 recruit. Caden McDonald, who they played him in that fullback role in the Cotton Bowl. But also, I think he flashed sometimes during the season as a defensive tackle. And then Will Smith and Eric Mensa, the true freshman. What do you think of that depth, Nathan? And do you feel like it needs more for a room that's got eight guys where you feel like you might have at least five that you five or six that you can play? Well, I wish we knew more where things are with Taiwan Malone. That was a mm-hmm. guy who really became out of sight, out of mind this year. And we went, like, the way he was talked about after he transferred in and the way Larry Johnson was talking about him, I think they expected more from that. Now, one of the things that also changed, though, was just how tight they made that rotation. And, and once Tyleek Williams started playing like 90% of the snaps in a game or whatever, then there just were fewer snaps for other people. So maybe that was a part of that. Maybe it was that he developmentally from the years of baseball just wasn't as far along. That's going to be one of my first questions or our first questions for, for Larry Johnson. Once we get to talk to the coaches again, I think is to get an update on where things stand with him. He, we did talk to Larry once during the year. I do not believe Taiwan Hamilton, Taiwan Malone came up in that conversation. There's too many ties, by the way, too many, like very similar names, Ty Leak, Ty Hamilton, Taiwan Malone. Anyway, um, I don't believe Malone came up in that conversation. So I'm curious where he stands, but I'm intrigued by where I know that Hero Canoe stands, where Caden McDonald stands. So if Hamilton and Williams has already come back, if Hamilton joins him, that's a strong four, I think. Hamilton, Williams, Canoe, and McDonald. I think they feel like that is a Big Ten defensive tackle rotation, that that group can do some stuff. And then I think if Malone were to um, blossom, or if someone from, if, if Jason Moore is ready as a redshirt freshman to contribute more, then then that's on the table. Uh, uh, no pun intended. Um, more and more. But I think they're okay here. If if Hamilton, for some reason, decided he wasn't coming back, and if they don't think that Malone is what they thought he was when he transferred in, I could see them looking at tackle. They were looking at they, – they have looked at some tackles in the portal. There's a kid from Michigan State, but he ultimately just ended up staying at Michigan State, which a lot of their guys who went in the portal ended up doing, which is not uncommon during a, a coaching change, right? Like guys will go in the portal, find out what's up, decide to stay. So they could they could do that again. Maybe they get to the spring and decide they need someone, but it's numbers wise and talent wise. I think it's, it's all right. It's, it's 25 where I think you start to think that maybe they would have to add an impact player in that room. So Andrew, let's move on the corners. Cause it's kind of the same thing here where it's, you know, Tim Walton's really good at his job. 95% of our texters say that both starters are currently on the roster. So I'll ask, I don't, I'm not going to ask you that simple question because that's boring. Denzel Burke has a decision to make 
Jordan Hancock has a decision to make. Davis Igbadosin is for sure coming back. And so regardless of what those two decide to do, he's got one of those spots locked down. And I don't even think I'm going to include Jordan Hancock in this conversation because he's more in the slot. And if they need him outside, he can do it, but they play him more in the slot. Right. But then you've also got two second-year guys, Jermaine Matthews, who started a game for you this year and looked pretty good against Penn State and really looked good all year and flashed. has been flashing basically since Tim Walton encouraged him to come camp and come earn an offer two years ago. And then Calvin Simpson Hunt, who Ryan Day has gone out of his way a couple of times to compliment the job he's done this year. They didn't really rotate this year. This past year, it was just kind of when everybody's healthy, Denzel Burke's outside, David Sinegbenosin's outside, Jordan Hancock's in the slot. The only game I think they did rotate was the Indiana game, but that's just the way Indiana played it. Could they rotate in 2024 at cornerback if Denzel Burke decides to come back and you've got a room of outside corners that's Denzel Burke, Davis and Igbenosin, Calvin Simpson Hunt, and Jermaine Matthews? So you're saying if Burke does come back, could they rotate? If he does come back. Yeah, but it's a little bit of the defensive line conversation all over again, right? It's like, do you want to take Denzel Burke off the field? You know, do do you want Denzel Burke sitting on the bench? Now, you're playing Michigan State. All right, Denzel Burke, come have a seat. Let's sit next to the red shirt guys and catch your breath. And let's talk about your weekend and what you're going to do after this, you know, 45 to 7 win over the Spartans. Do that. I... So I, I think yes to a point. I just don't know if you want to take some of these guys off the field, especially with, you know, I, I understand this is a remarkably talented room. You know, we've written about this a lot. Um, Aaron Scott, five-star player. Bryce West, four-star player who's a top, I think, top 50, top 60 player in the 247 composite rankings. Miles Lockhart, you're bringing him in to be a slot. Even in the 2025 class, you got a bunch of guys coming in. You got Blake Woodby. He's a top 75 overall player, and he's a he's a four-star player. You probably bring in a five-star player. Like This is just the level of recruiting that they have done. Calvin Simpson Hunt, top 60 recruit. Jermaine Matthews, top 60 recruit. Like They're just bringing in these guys just on the conveyor belt that are just remarkably talented. It's You don't want to overstep, but it's kind of similar to receiver a little bit. You're not bringing in the number four player in the country. You're not bringing in the number eight player in the country. Like they don't have the Mylon Graham, Jeremiah Smith duo, but you're still bringing in really, really good players. So I don't think you can shy away from rotating because you want to get those guys on the field. You want to play Jermaine Matthews, right? Because you want him to develop. You want him to grow. You know, if Burke comes back and Igmanosin is your one and two, then yeah, that's that's a hard thing for Calvin Simpson to see the field. It's a hard thing for Jermaine Matthews to see the field in those situations. But I think you want to get them in the game and get them valuable reps. So you can rotate to a point. I just, I don't think you can take Denzel Burke off the field in big time situations or in big time games. Um, so I, I wouldn't do that. But this room is talented enough at a level where you look at Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt, and you don't want to put too much expectations on these guys, considering they haven't done a ton of, you know, a, a ton of work with a huge sample size, and they've looked good in spurts. You haven't seen it for a month and a half where they've had to start, but you see those guys play, and you're not going to expect much of a drop off. Like that's the talent that Ohio State has in this corner room right now. So, you know, I, I think you rotate just because you want to get those guys on the field and keep them all fresh. But there is a point where, you know what, we got to leave Burke and Igbenosa on the field because 
those are our two best guys, especially with what Igben Osen brings you in, um, in playing the run, because, you know, that's a really, really difficult thing for corners to do at the college level. I mean, the Denver Broncos built an offense around that and they won Super Bowls around that, which was basically let's get to the edge and make corners tackle. And when you have a corner that can tackle, you don't want to take him off the field either. So, you know, this is it, it's a really deep room. And, and however you do it, really, you're you're not going to have much of a drop off. I don't think it's wrong, Nathan. I think you, I mean, if those guys are back, they, they're going to play. And the only reason I bring, we live in this world now where like, if guys are not playing, they're going to leave, even if it makes zero sense why they're leaving. We we just saw that with two wide receivers as true freshmen go on the portal because they just didn't see a route onto the field. And this cornerback room is starting to recruit as a, at a high level, like for the sake of your future, can you afford to like spend another year where Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt don't play? Yes. At all. Yes. Because the difference is those receivers never saw a, they were looking down the line and didn't see guaranteed playing time. Mm-hmm. As it stands right now, 2025, Matthews and, and Simpson Hunter, you're starting corners, right? Mm-hmm. All three of these other guys are leaving. If, if they decide to come back this year in, in um, Burke and Hancock, and I know we included Hancock in the safety conversation, but he has the versatility yeah. to be thrown in here too. Like both of those guys, all three of those guys are gone after this year. I think we're fairly sure. So that opens everything up in a way that it wasn't opening up like that in the receiver room anytime soon. The problem in the receiver room was the guys coming in behind, namely Jeremiah Smith, were going to force their way onto the field, potentially ahead of the guys who were leaving. So it is, it's a different equation there. I, you're not wrong that we've seen guys leave, but it's never really usually the playing time they haven't had. It's the playing time they won't get ahead of them whether that was Mookie Cooper making a very quick decision uh, as a right after his true freshman year, whether that was, I mean, I am blanking on other potential names to throw in there right now, but Caleb we used to just see Caleb Brown. Right. Right. And those are all, again, those are all receivers, but it was, it, there's a reason why those are all receivers. It's because, or how about Omari Abor after this year? And he was mm-hmm. a guy who didn't seem like all that excited to be here at times yeah, he from the beginning, <laughs> but but that's another guy that w- mm-hmm. you're looking at. Go back and listen to our defensive end conversation. Like, where would we have snuck Omari Abor's name in there? And where would we have snuck it in for 2025? Like, yeah. it's so that's that's the reason he leaves. Guys like that leave. It's when you can look ahead and not see anything there for you. With, with Matthews and Simpson Hunt, you see it there. I think the bigger question is you know, Kerry Combs used to rotate. And, and, and Doug used to talk about this a lot yeah. where they would kind of go back and forth about um, why are you rotating these three guys? And these, these, these two guys are great. And Kerry Combs would be like, okay, but that third guy is great too. You guys just don't see mm-hmm. it yet. And it makes them all better. And that's the question that maybe I'm have lingering out there that if Jeremy, Jeremy Matthews has to take a little bit of a jump, right? Because yeah. he wasn't playing over either of these guys this past year, nor should he have been. But when one of those guys couldn't play, he did. He gave them very good snaps in in instead, and yeah. that's I think. So if Matthews makes another make continues his development, if Simpson Hunt continues his development, he's a little bit behind just because he didn't get here as early. But if those guys just are playing at that level that you can afford to take Burke or Igman Osen out of the game for a series, I, I think it makes everybody better, and it's going to make them better in the long run too. But that isn't solely a decision that Tim Walton makes in a vacuum. 
That's something that those players, as he's helping them develop, have to kind of earn, have to have to show that they're worth it. I know that fans and us too, like we do it too. We say, well, you got to play the young guys. You got to find out what you got with the young guys. And but sometimes the young guys are showing you what they are behind the scenes and we just don't see it. So I I think there's enough uh, right now. There is reason to have optimism that this defensive staff will keep doing what it has done, which is when young guys deserve to play, they tend to play. And that's why it is always now that that varies position to position because each coach gets to decide what's going on in his group. But it's one thing that has colored the CJ Hicks conversation a little bit, which is, yeah, I know you've got veteran guys there, but every other spot has veteran guys and you found ways to get younger guys on the field. And that wasn't really happening at linebacker. So it does make you wonder what's happening there. And I still think in the secondary, though, I wouldn't expect it to be a a rotation. But I would think that if Matthews and Hunt are playing well enough that they should play, that they will occasionally play. But it's going to be a room led by Burke and Igbenosin, clearly, if that's what, um, if both, if, if Burke comes back. So I'm going to push back on both of you guys. And I'm glad you brought up Kerry Combs because that was part of the reason I was asking the question in the first place about the rotation. Denzel Ward did not play in 2015. He was a true freshman. And he, so he didn't play, clearly. And then in 2016, in year two, he forced his way into a rotation with two other first-round draft picks in Marshawn Lattimore and Gary Conner, And it made z- – that, that's where Doug's entire problem was like, you've got two awesome dudes. Why are you playing this true freshman who's like not even a top 100 recruit? What's happening here? And then it's like, well, he might be a first-round draft pick too. And he ended up being a first-round draft pick. And I'm not saying that all these guys now are going to be first-round draft picks, but I am saying that – to the point you made about Jermaine Matthews potentially taking a jump. I don't think it's crazy that he makes that jump because he played yeah. enough and flashed no. enough that if he makes that jump and it's in a position where Tim Walton's like, well, I've got like three dudes. And if Calvin Simpson Hunt, who will be going through his first spring, makes that jump, well, I've got four dudes. I'm going to play them all. I don't think that's crazy. It's And it's not about Denzel Burke and Davison Igbenosin. It's more about Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt and them just – showing you that hey you legitimately can play four guys that's why i asked it and the other re- reason i yep. want to bring it up is you brought up the bryson uh, the bryson rogers noah rogers point it matters here in this room too and the reason it matters is the cornerback room's got a five-star recruit coming too and aaron scott and bryce west is a top 50 recruit as well and devin sanchez is committing on saturday and he's like the number one corner in the next class so i i'm yeah. i'm starting to get there with the cornerback room with the way Tim Walton is developing and recruiting, now we got to see it go out the other end as first-round draft picks, of course. But the first two steps are starting to get there for the cornerback room where it could very easily be a Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers conversation at any point where like some freshmen look at what's coming behind them and what's in front of them and go, I'm really good, but I just don't see it here simply because the room is recruiting at such a high level. Just a couple quick points. So, but, but Matthews was at least playing this past year in a way that Rogers and Rogers weren't. So that's sure. a difference. Uh, just because, um, Scott and West are, are highly ranked guys doesn't mean they're the Jermaine, uh, Smith of, um, or the Jeremiah Smith Jeremiah. of, that's fair. The Jeremiah Smith of yeah. cornerbacks, right? Yeah. Like there's a difference. It, like, there's five Jeremiah stars Smith and then is there's Jeremiah Smith. More than it's a five star coming. <laughs> right. And then also the, the last factor is. Yes, Kerry Combs did that, but that was Kerry Combs had established that philosophy very early on. Like mm-hmm. 
and, and repeated it. And I don't know that Tim Walton looks at it the same way. I'm just saying that if he were to look at it the same way, maybe he would get there. I just, it's what they have right now with Burke and Igbenosan is a really interesting complementary set of corners, right? Complementary yeah. set of starters. And I, I like the idea of these talented young guys coming up behind them and complimenting them, being ready if they have to play a bigger role. But I think you're right. I don't. I didn't even feel that pushed back on that much because I think you're saying the same thing I am. That it's. I think it's. It's about Matthews. Like if Matthews, if if those two guys are at this level, and Matthews is here, and then Matthews jumps up here. I'm using my hands. You guys can't see it. Yeah. Um, my hands are now. Where hands were farther apart. Now they're closer together. Farther, closer. Then, then that's what decides it. More than more than what a philosophy is, regardless of that. And I, I just think right now that's the only other room on the roster where you can have this conversation and end up on either side of it and not be wrong because even defensive end defensive line in total i mean you just rotate more on the defensive line anyway so that's kind of irrelevant but corner and wide receiver you don't have to rotate but it does seem like brian hartline and tim walden are recruiting their rooms in a way that I I am not going to look at either of them sideways if they choose to rotate this year. Because one, it gets you through a season that's now got an extra game to it, man. If you're going undefeated and winning a national championship, while also it's just more maximizing your room. And I think it's going to be an interesting thing to talk with Tim Walton about because I do wonder, had Jordan Hancock, I mean, they recruited Jordan Hancock to play the role, do what he's doing right now anyway. So that's kind of eliminates the point. But if Jordan Hancock was just an outside cornerback, would they have rotated him, Denzel Burke, and Davis and Igbenosan all year like they did against Indiana? Or would Jordan Hancock just sat a year? And I think that Jermaine Matthews might be talented enough and might come along enough where we get the answer to that question of whether or not Tim Walton is open to doing that or not in 2024. That'll wrap up the defensive projection here. We're not, there's not a lot of portal there maybe they add some guys from a depth perspective i know tack and curtis's name has been thrown out there with the linebacker situation but so much of this might just depend on as nathan said where's cj hicks and where's sunny styles when we get out there and get a chance to see practice and what they need to evaluate i don't think it's as pressing that they need to go find portal guys right now they can probably wait until that spring window after they see what they have and what they don't have on this roster for the defense that'll wrap up the projections that was thursday and friday's pod monday's pod is market monday market down monday we made a lot of predictions and proclamations about how this season would play out, and a lot of them were wrong. I've been like listening through back a lot of those. We were wrong a lot about a lot of things this year. This is going to be an interesting pod on Monday. Get the text 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, $399 after that. Listen, Devin Sanchez, the top corner in the country out of Texas, he's committing on Saturday, and it's seeming like the Buckeyes are going to win that, Andrew. And is that is that correct? And if he is, and whether he wins or not, Andrew's going to tell you what happens the moment he announces that decision, right? Yeah, it feels like Ohio State's in a good spot there. Um, so, you know, obviously he's going to be a, um, he, he's a guy that w- when you look at, it's like, whoa, you know, like this is a, you know, this is like a different type of dude. He's out of Texas. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you want to keep an eye out of him or keep an eye on him. Um, there's also, uh, uh, Chris Burgess. Um, if you look at the two, four, seven rankings, I believe he's like one forty. I would have to do, I would have to check that. Um, but Chris Burgess, he's considering Ohio state. He's, uh, those that is in his top four, I believe his top four is Ohio state, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Alabama. 
he will also be committing on Saturday. Um, if you haven't noticed, he's a defensive lineman. Ohio State could use some defensive linemen, not just in quality, but in quantity, um, especially after we're only bringing in two guys in the 24 cycle. So uh, they could get a nice little uh, nice little boost to their 2025 defensive class, uh, to a defensive class that already has Eli Lee and um, uh, Blake Woodby, the kid out of Baltimore, top 100 corner. So their, uh, their defensive class could be looking pretty, pretty set. Or not elite, not set, but pretty, pretty solid, uh, especially at this part of the year. So check back on Saturday. So there's a reason to get the text. Obviously, Will Howard expected to take a visit this weekend, along with the center of Alabama, whose name is escaping me right now. McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Seth McLaughlin. To take, McLaughlin. Seth McLaughlin expected to take visits as well. And as we're hearing things on all of those things, we're texting it first, man. Two-week free trial. Three ninety nine dollars after that. And so that'll wrap this up for Nathan Baer, for Andrew Gillis. I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.